Is it on? Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> you know, I thought the electric guitar would wake you guys up. And, uh, <laughs> we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 tonight. In this chapter, Solomon laments that everyone ends up dying in the end. It doesn't matter who you are. We all come to the same culmination. And this is really true. Physical death will catch up to everyone. No matter how you live, every person must face death. Those who are righteous and wise and rest in God's hands, what a place to be that we put our trust in Him. The Bible tells us that there are two kinds of death. Physical death, that which is separation from the consciousness from from your body, and a spiritual death which is a separation of your consciousness from God. If you are not in a relationship with God, and you are not walking in an awareness of God, you are spiritually dead. You are separated from God eternally if you die in that state. 
That is the ultimate death. If you are living spiritually, physical death has no consequences to you. Death has no sin for you and me. To be absent from the body is to be present with our Lord. But if you are spiritually dead and you are also dying physically, you have lost your last opportunity for spiritual life, eternal life with God. And forever separated from God. As we read this chapter tonight, I want, to, I want you to keep in mind that Solomon is looking at death through under the sun. That is, a man apart from God. Not from an eternal perspective, but he's looking at life under the sun. Verse 1 goes, For I consider all this in my heart, so that I could declare it all, that the righteous and the wise and their works are in the hands of God. People know neither love nor hatred by anything they see before them. All things come alike to all. One event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good, the clean, the unclean, to him who sacrifices, and to him who does not sacrifice. As is to the good, so is the sinner. He who takes an oath and he who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. That one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness in their hearts while they live. After that they go to the dead. Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. I got bad news for him. He will be there. As must every human being. Because there is no escaping death when it comes. And I thought, when I was studying this, I thought, oh, I've got to go through death one more time. But, you know, it's, uh, it's glorifying that we look at death because it all comes to each one of us. Death is not an accident. It's an appointment. A destiny that nobody can change but God or cancel. In Hebrews 9 it says, As it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Our life, our death, is in the hands of God. And only He knows our destiny, our future, whether it is, brings blessings, love, or sorrow. But we have a role to play in that gang, each and every one of us. We're not passive actors in a cosmic drama following an unchangeable script. God has given each one of us the freedom to choose and make choices in our life. And God takes the choices that you and I make and he uses it for his glory. He holds us and what will happen tomorrow because the decisions that we make today. And Solomon says, As it is with a good man, so with a sinner. Why do we even bother to live a godly life? If we die just like everyone else. Because the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. And Jesus took it on the cross for you and me. Now Jesus... 
was with his disciples. And uh, Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that uh, Lazarus was dying. But he said, Lazarus is sick. But Jesus knew that this message, Mary and Martha wouldn't have sent to Jesus unless this was dire opportunity. And Mary and Martha had faith that if Jesus came right now, Lazarus wouldn't die. And Jesus on purposely stayed gone two days. Then he goes to Jerusalem, stays gone two more days. Then he turns to his disciples and said, Lazarus is sleeping. Let's go see him. And the disciples said, well, if Lazarus is sleeping, he'll get well. He's fine. And uh, Jesus had to make it plainly. Lazarus is dead. But for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there, that you may believe. He said, come. Let us go. So Jesus heads on, on over to uh, Mary and Martha, and he's on the road. And Mary and Martha get word that Jesus is uh, heading towards them. Mary's so angry, she won't run and go. She goes back to the tomb. She's furious. Now, Martha's angry also, but she can't help but run to her Lord. And she runs, and when she gets to Jesus's Side, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And you've got to understand that they had faith that first day that Jesus was coming. And Jesus loved Lazarus and certainly he will come and save our brother. Because we know Jesus loves our brother, Lazarus. The Lord doesn't come. Now, to their custom, they had to wrap him in grave clothing. And uh, they put him in, in the tomb. Day two comes, and they're losing hope. Day three, they're getting angry. Where's the Lord? Where's the Lord? Is he coming? Do you see him? They're waiting. They're looking down the road. He doesn't come. Day four, they go to the tomb and they could smell Lazarus outside the tomb. He stinks. He's rotting in the grave. Now they're furious. They're heartbroken for their brother. And they think, why? Why would the Lord not come? And I'm going to read from the gospel because it's touching. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him, but Mary was sitting in the house. See, she wouldn't go. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may, may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. 
If you want to follow me, it's in, in John 11. And he who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. And in this little story, you have the shortest verse in the Bible. And it says, Jesus wept. He wept. And he didn't weep over Lazarus. He wept over the people and their lack of faith and their broken hearts and what we have done with the world. And it broke his heart. And he goes to the tomb and he says, Martha, move the stone away. And she says, please, Lord. Lazarus has been in the grave four days. He stinketh. And... And Jesus says, do you not believe? Do you not believe? Lord, we believe. Roll the stone away. And they rolled the stone away. And then Jesus prays to his father. Father, you hear me. You always hear me. But I pray this for their sake. That they would believe. He said, Lazarus, come out. Now, it was a good day for Mary and Martha... It wasn't a good day for Lazarus. He was still stinky. <laughs> Not only that, but he went to paradise. He got a taste of what was in store for him. Now see, Mar- Lazarus had to die twice. He was brought back to life. And he had to die all over again. You and I, and I want you to listen to me. Because unbelievers don't have this confidence that you and I have. They're unprepared to die. They don't have that hope in you and me. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know people who are miserable, angry cusses, hard to be around. They're miserable. They get drunk, fight with relatives, fight in bars, live recklessly. They do stupid stuff, all to the distraction from the battle within, the battle of their soul. But the battle still rages because when they wake up, when they sober up, They've got to do it all over again. And they have no hope. That's all out of three verses. Verse 4 goes, But for him who joined, but for him who is joined to all the living, there is hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. There's an ancient motto, motto there is, where there's life, there's hope. That's a good paraphrase of verse 4. As long as man is alive, there is hope to change. There's hope for a better life. There's hope to be a better person. There's hope that God 
would save us. Here, the dog spoken of is not that cute little Fido that we call a pet. This is uh, the lowliest, meanest forms of life is what he's talking about. And a lion is the king of beasts, powerful and magnificent. Solomon was saying, a living, lowly creature is preferable over a dead, exalted creature. The point is that death is an absolute end to all things. Instead, the point is that while there is life, there is hope to do something to the glory of God. We have a blessed hope in Christ. Paul said to Titus, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every day alive in Christ is an opportunity to shine for Jesus. Verse 5 goes, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. How people deal with the reality of death reveals itself in the way that they live. The way they deal with their relationship with God or the lack of a relationship with God. Every Christian has a living hope, not a dead hope, because our Savior lives. Our Jesus is alive. In 1 Peter, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I like that inheritance. We have an inheritance with God. It's a treasure. And what Peter says, man, do you, if, you, if you really get this, what a treasure we hold in these earthen vessels. That God has given us this treasure of his. But get this, those who die without Christ truly have no hope. And I have to be kind to those that really hate me because it's not a personal attack on me. It's what I stand for. And misery loves company. And darkness, people of the darkness love darkness. They don't like light. They have no chance, second chance to get it right. Verse 6 goes, Also their love, their hatred, their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. And so it is, thought Solomon, once a person dies, there is no more love, hate, sorrow, joy, or any other human emotion. And the humanists would certainly agree with this, arguing that religion has done nothing but trouble man since the beginning. 
And I couldn't help but think of uh, when I was a teenager, one of my favorite songs was Imagine by John Lennon. And it used to be one of my favorite songs. And, and uh, now I, I hear it and it sort of breaks my heart. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. And if John could cry out from the grave, he'd say, people, man, believe. We know even if you are dead in Christ, a non-believer, this life is not the end. There's a judgment day coming when even John Lennon will stand before the Lord and bow a knee and confess him as Lord and Savior. I want to read a little testimony of uh, Ruth and Billy Graham. And this was taken about six years ago when Ruth was still alive. Uh, so it's a little dated, but it really touched my heart. Ruth and Bill, Billy Graham offered a priceless testimony as they approached their final chapters on earth to, together. We pray together and read the Bible together every night, Billy said in a recent interview. It is a wonderful period of life for both of us. We've never had a love like we do now. We feel each other's hearts. I think about heaven a great deal, Billy continued. I think about the failures in my life in the past, but know that they have been covered by the blood of Christ, and that gives me a great sense of confidence. I have a certainty about eternity and that is a wonderful thing. And I thank God for giving me that certainty. I do not fear death. I may fear a little bit about the process, but not death itself. Because I think the moment that my spirit leaves this body, I will be in the presence of the Lord. Now Solomon's father, David, wrote this in Psalm 27. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the Lord in the land of the living. See, even David believed that he would see Jesus one day in heaven. And he says, if I did not believe this, I'd lose heart. Verse 7 goes, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already accepted your works let your garments always be white, and let your head lack no oil. Live joyfully with your wife, whom you love all the days of your vain life, which he has given you under the sun, all your days of vanity, for this is your portion in life, in the labor which you perform under the sun. I love this. Enjoyment has been one of Solomon's reoccurring themes, and, and I like that from Solomon. He says, go, go your way, means don't sit around and brood. Get up and live. And I hope that what we come away with this evening is just this same thing. Life is for living. It is good to realize and reflect on life and to number our days. Yes, death will come, but God gives good gifts to those who love him and enjoy them. Life is short. Don't waste one day. 
And I like what Solomon lists here. He says, eat a good meal, have a merry heart, do what is right. And if you have a faithful, loving wife, live joyfully with her. By the way, work hard. It was difficult in the ancient times to keep a, keep a white garment white. And uh, what he's talking about when he talks about keep your garments white and anoint your head with oil, what he is saying is they are symbols of joy and purity. And what he is saying is keep your relationships pure. If you have a wife, enjoy her. But keep your relationship pure. Solomon saw that a good wife was a gift from God. It's too bad that Solomon didn't live up to his own ideas. He forsook God's commandments concerning marriage and had many wives. I believe in his old age he was saying, don't do what I do. I have many regrets. Verse 10 goes, Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. And for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Enjoy your work. And do it with all your might. Suggest two things. Do your best and give it all you got. I couldn't help this week. I went out and got a weed whacker. <laughs> and I was just overjoyed. I got out the owner's manual because that's the smart thing to do. You've got to get out the owner's manual. You've got to read it. And you've got to put the right gasoline in. You've got to put the, the oil where the oil belongs. And uh, the sal- salesman told me, you've got to mix the oil and you've got to mix it right. Well, I read the thing, and oh, you don't mix the oil. Anyway, I was excited about this thing. It's a, it's a weed hog. It's one of those push things. And I was so excited about this thing. But they should have a warning hanging up from the, from the steering wheel. Warning. This is going to make you very sore. But here I am. I've just got a big old smile from ear to ear, man, with his head. Because it's taking down everything you touch, man. wop up 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 wop up 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 Taking down fence, man. And it was just like... But three and a half hours later, I couldn't get my hands off, off the steering wheel there. And from the top of my bald head to every toe on my feet was sore. I was walking like an old man away from this thing. But it was a joy. And God gives us work to do. When you go to work, your work is a testimony. I know Ferenc saying, he, t- he took it the next day. <laughs> He's going, man, I'm sore. I'm really sore. You sissy. No. (laughs) You may never get to share with words, but believe me, when you go to work, your work is your testimony because they are watching you. 
They're watching everything you do. And the way you perform at your workplace is your testimony to a man that really believes. Now, verse 11 goes, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls upon them. Solomon observed lack Luck and chance play a big part in life. The race is not always won by the fastest. The bravest soldier doesn't always win the battle. The wisest don't always enjoy the best meals. The clever is not always the richest. And the most capable do not always become president. Ouch, did I say that? Time and chance is a great factors that play an important role in success and failure. When billionaire J. Paul Getty was asked to explain his success, he replied simply this, Some find oil, others don't. And the interviewer was baffled. That's all? By chance. He was a billionaire. Like fish in a barrel... We never know when bad luck may come. And you and I are only a heartbeat away from eternity. And we need to cherish and hold that each day is a gift from God. Paul wrote, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But trust me, God is working his eternal purpose in our lives today. Each one of us. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God. The smartest thing we can do is major on our strengths and concentrate on life and live it fully to glorify God. The nearer the time comes to our departure from this world, the greater our regrets will be for how much we wasted. Amen? Verse 13 goes, This wisdom I have also seen under the sun. It seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it and and built great snares around it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he... By his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that same poor man. Our opportunities are no guarantee for success. This wisdom Solomon witnessed must have been pretty great because he says it impressed him and stirred his heart that he would call it great. And we must remember that Solomon, the preacher, was the wisest man to ever live and would take quite a bit to impress him. Whatever battle this was, 
described here by Solomon, left a great impression to the preacher. But not everyone was impressed. And no one remembered this same poor man. And I believe this story is a simple message to you and me. That our rewards, our honor, our praise should not come from the lips of man. Our honor comes from God. And not, all, not everybody will see what you and I do. But God sees everything. Verse 16 goes, Then I said, Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. Wisdom is better than strength. God's way is better than man's, even though it is sometimes a stumbling block that those that don't believe. Do me a favor and turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is uh, some of my favorite verses. First Corinthians chapter 1 verse 17 goes, For God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. God did not choose many of the wise according to the flesh. There are some exceptions, but most of us are not college professors with doctorates after our name. God chooses plain, simple people like you and me to do his work. Now why does he choose that way? That no one should glory in his presence, period. It's all about him. And he uses broken earthen vessels like you and me to do his glory. That no one could look and say, it is him. When people see me, they say, amazing. Ain't that what you guys say? No. When people see me, they say, God can use a simple guy like Fritz. God can use me. And God gets all the glory. Amen? God uses the foolish things of this world to confuse the wise. Back to Ecclesiastes, verse 17. 
Words of the wise spoken quietly should be heard rather than the shouts of rulers of fools. Men may despise the gospel message and even try to drown it out, drown out its proclamation, but it should and will be heard. Paul sermon on Mars Hill in Acts 17, we are told that some mocked him. Others said, we will hear you again on this matter. However, some believed and were saved. God's wise words always will be met with mixed reception because not everybody is willing to hear that they're a, they're a sinner that needs a savior. And uh, you and I need to be willing to pull some out of the pit and be willing to put ourselves in, in uncomfortable situations to save some. And that's what Paul did because they mocked him. But some believed. Verse 18 goes, The wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. It is important to keep in mind that we do not battle flesh and blood. But our battle is spiritual battle. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Even though we live in the flesh, we do not war in the flesh. And I have to remember when I'm angry with people that, that fight with me and, and, and it, it's, it's like they just, they just want to battle, that it's not them, that you and I don't realize the spiritual battle that's going on behind the scene. Even in the church, when we come to church on Sunday, there are spiritual domains that we don't see working behind the scene. Our problem is that we keep getting tangled up in battles of the flesh, and when we get in the flesh, we are defeated, each and every one of us. We let Satan have a hold. Turn with me to, uh, to Ephesians 6. Starting at verse 10 goes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that we may that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand." There are spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There are principalities and powers that you and I cannot see. And a great study is to go through the book of Daniel 
where he talks about that as soon as Daniel got on his knees and prays, the Lord sent angels to talk with him. And they had to battle demons to get to Daniel. And it's sort of opened your eyes to the, to the war and the battle that's going on for you and me that we don't see. And when we get people that, that want to fight with us, we need to pray. Because the God of this age, the devil, has blinded their eyes to salvation. Because the devil does not want to lose one of his. Ever. And we've got to pray, gang. We've got to get on our knees and pray for those that are perishing. Because you never know when that will be their last chance. When we remain in the Spirit, the advantage is ours, all ours. We cannot lose. We are indestructible when we stand in God. We must be clothed in Christ. We must put on the whole armor of God. We must know what it is. Because if we go into battle half clothed, we're taking shots here and there. We've got to know what the spiritual armor is. We need to put it on. We need to be dressed and ready for battle. Peter said, be ready to give a defense to anyone to ask you for that hope that is in you with meekness and trembling. We need to be ready to give people an answer because people are going to ask you, what is that? What's with you? Why are you always so happy? And you've got to be able to say, this is why. Turn with me again to 1 Corinthians, if you please. Chapter 1. No, chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not of persuasive words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of the power that your faith should be not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not of the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom in which God ordained before the ages, before our, before our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit reaches all things, yes, the deep things of God. If you are in Christ, you have a job to do. I want to be able to say, 
I speak wisdom, of, but God's wisdom. But I have to always remember that the message that I preach is foolishness to those that are perishing. They're not going to accept that message. There are going to be moments of spiritual warfare with each and every one of us. Some people are going to hate the gospel message that we preach. Some people are blinded in their eyes to the truth of Christ and Him crucified. But I have to be willing to tell them of this salvation that is available to all men. In Acts 20, Paul writes this. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. I want to be able to say one day, I have not shunned to share the whole counsel of God to all those around me. Because you've got to understand, you and I are in a mission field. Where you are today, you're a testimony. Now, whether you're a good testimony or a bad testimony, that's your choice. We have a race to run, a race to finish. We need to pull others out of the trenches, out of the pit, and into the race with us so that we can run with Christ to the finish. I was thinking about the scriptures and what they say about wisdom. Wisdom to the Christian is the given, God-given ability to see life through the rare objectivity, to handle life with rare stability, knowing that God is in control. There is a remarkable absence of fear in a Christian's life. I do not fear the uncertain. The future, it's in God's hands. The stock market, I trust in the Lord. Death, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. My job, God gave me this one. Everything is in God's hands. We are not seized with panic. We respond in a calm confidence. Why? Because we see life with a God-given objectivity and we handle it in His wisdom. We can dip, to, dip into unexpected valleys and we can soar to the pinnacle of prosperity and it doesn't matter. We can cope with both extremes and God's wisdom provides us with necessary stability in our walk with Him. That's the way life is when it is lived in the palm of His hand. This is not a dreamland fairy tale. This is reality for those who believe. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 1, Happy is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gets understanding. Wisdom is worth more than silver. It brings profit, more profit than gold. Let us stand and pray.
Oh, Heavenly Father, help us to walk in God-given wisdom we find in you by faith. That we would find our strength and that calm assurance and stability in you. Help us to see what is important, what is eternal. Lord, that we would see you before us. Let us make decisions based on eternal life and not on temporary pleasures. Give us strength to be more like Jesus and less like the world. We give you all the praise. We give you all the honor. We give you all the glory. And as we try to honor and glorify you in all that we do, in Jesus' precious name, amen.